For a scripture reading today, we'll come from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are, we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burnt with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Amen. That was a lot of scripture. A lot of things going on there. That's probably the longest one that I've had read since I've been here. But I wanted to thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, be your pastor And on Communion Sunday, I'm going to really bring that in with who I believe you are as a congregation after studying some things in the office and being with you and where I was at in my life and try to see how Communion brings all that together. So that's going to be on Communion Sunday. Um, For now, I want to say I'm very grateful for the men and women that God has put in my life over the years to kind of form me and uh, who I am in my spiritual identity and helped me to be a pastor and, you know, corrected me when I needed corrected and directed me. And one of the things that these men and women taught me was the importance of my prayer life. And I do have a set prayer that I do every day. You know, normally a Pentecostal is what they call sporadic. You know, never know where he's going. You know, don't know when he's going to end, but somewhere in there he's saying a prayer, and you probably don't understand him. But I'm very formal in my prayer life. I have a set prayer. And one of the things that we would get do in the church, or if we'd get ready to go out on the street before we preached on the street, was we'd gather together. And the prayer went something like this. We would ask God to put a hedge of protection and wall around our families and our church. This hedge and wall of protection was to keep the enemy at bay so he wouldn't come into the hearts of our kids or our wives or our husbands or our church and disrupt what we were trying to sow into their lives. We wanted God to protect them. And the best we did, we say, Lord, you have to put a hedge and a wall of protection around our family because we can't do it ourselves. You have to do this. Don't allow the enemy to come and steal, Lord. What you sown in their lives. In 445 BC, 13 years after Ezra returned to teach the law of God, 
Nehemiah returned with a small band to rebuild the walls and city gates of Jerusalem. Should be a picture of every nobleman uh, looking at the gates and seeing what was going on. After surveying the landscape and our sermon text, which Mr. Shockey read this morning, he began his plan to rebuild the temple or to rebuild the walls in chapter 3. Families were assigned to work on sections of the walls or gates near their homes. They were to use all their available talent to accomplish the task which Nehemiah had had. Some work assignments were assigned based on vocation. If you were as good at something, he'd say, I need you to go over there and, you know, maybe plaster this wall. Others came from outside Jerusalem where family homes were scarce. What he had done was, if there was family homes around this uh, city up there, he would say, okay, your home is near this part of the gate. I want you to work there. But some places was empty. So in our terms, they'd have to hire a contractor. They'd go out and find a contractor who would do it at a good price. The contractor would come in and work on that side of the wall. Everyone was required to do the work necessary to build the wall or the gates of Jerusalem. Nehemiah mentions ten gates encompassing about 220 acres or two and a half miles of the city walls. And that's kind of a little picture there. Um, I guess that would be on your right. Um, the valley gate was in the western section of the wall. The dung gate was in the southern section of the wall. The fountain and water gate were northeast of the dung gate. The horse, east, and inspection or muster gate was in the northeastern section of the wall. And all these gates have reasons for their location. I mean, they were there strategically. And there have some symbols that we could draw out today, but I really don't want to go over all this. I want to focus on one gate this morning, and that is the horse gate. Crudence Concordant gives three references to this horse gate. In 2 Chronicles chapter 23 and 15, this was before Nebuchadnezzar came and took the children captive. It identifies the horse gate entrance as being on the palace grounds. The gate would be situated near the stables of Solomon that housed some of his 12,000 horses, the one he had with him in Jerusalem. In Nehemiah's day, the gates also led to the site of the king's garden and the tomb of David. The latter still existed in the New Testament times in Acts chapter 2, verse 29. And to the tombs of his king descendants, all who came after him. But in the book of Acts, there was no king. Nehemiah 3.28 tells that above this gate, the priests made the repairs. Nearby were built their houses. And the water gate was towered east, which would suggest that the horse gate was also on the east. Jeremiah 31.38 confirms the east as a side where this gate was situated. All this is to say that this has something to do with end time prophecy. The whole valley where dead bodies and ashes are thrown out of the Kendron Valley on the east as far as the corner of the horse gate will be the holy to the Lord. That the Lord is coming and the horse gate was situated right there. Horses are a symbol of war. Revelation 19 verse 11 and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. War is part of your life. War is part of my life. I mean, isn't there wars going on right now? There is wars happening all over the world. We cannot get away from war. No matter what we do, it seems no matter how hard we pray, no matter how hard we work, war is just always going to be there. War is a part of our lives. But war is also a part of your spiritual life as a Christian. Ephesians 6 and verse 12. 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It ain't like we're going to a WWE match where you watch Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant get in there and scrap. It ain't that kind of wrestling that we do. We're more like in a chess game. You got one guy from Russia who's an excellent chess player versus an American who's an excellent chess player, and they're sitting there in their minds and in their hearts, how am I going to beat you out? I'm not going to reach over the chessboard and pop you because that's not gentlemanlike. But how can I beat you at this game? We are in a spiritual war over spiritual beings that were kicked out of heaven and they move in men's and women's life who don't know the Lord Jesus. And it is this kind of battle that you and I are in today. He calls it principalities and powers. And this works in governments, works in people's lives, it works in systems. And he calls these people the rulers of darkness of this world. How they move in lost people and direct lost people to do bad things. You can't beat them one-on-one in a wrestling match. You beat them with the heart and ideas and thought and the word of God as you speak to them and as you allow the word to go forth. Let the word do its work, he says. Not naturally. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning natural, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Paul, when he was out preaching the gospel, he went to a big temple one day, a temple of false idols. And out in this, we'll call it a congregation, when there's all these educated people. In our time now, we'll just say they was degreed at the yin-yang. They had degrees left and right. They had learned from great men. They followed all kinds of different gods. And Paul walks in and he says, I want to tell you about the one true God. And he preaches the gospel to all these educated men following all these false gods. And some of them came back and says, We want to hear more of what you have to say about this God that you serve. On the other hand, there were some men who said, I want nothing to do with you. You're crazy. I think Paul realized that the way to fight the battle was not what he did before he became a Christian. Before he became a believer, he killed Christians. He got a letter from the king and says, come on, I got to go kill these people because they're turning the world upside down with what they're doing. They're making my religion look bad, he said. And then he got saved, and he accepted Christ, and he realized the war he was fighting was not natural, was not just beating on the guy, but speaking about what Christ can do in your life, how he can change you, make and mold you, and that's the war that he wanted to fight. How do you and I fight this war? If we are in a war, which I believe we are, how do we fight this war? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, 
Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Take the Word of God and let the Word of God rule your mind. Let His Word rule your hands. Let His Word rule your heart. Let His Word rule your belly. Let His Word rule your feet. Every aspect of your life, you should put on His Word. His Word is your protection. His Word is your guide. His Word will help you out. His Word will guide you, lead you, direct you. But you have to have that Word inside of you. So He says, Put on the whole armor of God. We must have this armor to fight this war. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Oh, you must be strong in your faith. This is what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians. And now, we exhort you, brethren, warm them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, See that no one render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calls you who will also do it. We must be ready for the war. We must be ready for the fight. We must put on the armor of God. We must be strong in our faith. Don't be intimidated by anybody, how they come at you or what they say to you. You know what Christ has done in your life. You know how he's touched you. You know how he's blessed you. Don't be ashamed of that, but stand strong in what he means to you. Don't let anybody intimidate you or throw you down because of your faith. Now, what I'm about to say from here on out is mostly in symbol, but I hope you hear what I have to say uh, coming from my heart. If we're always at war... Paul tells us how to fight the war. When does the war begin? I realize the war begins when you become a Christian and you're living your life. But for our purposes today, and for what I believe is important to you as a congregation, here's what I think. When does this war begin? When the church bell rings and service starts. Just as two boxers get ready to go and they're staring each other down, and the referee gives them the rules of engagement, and they go back to their corners. As soon as that joker hits that bell, what do they do? They come out fighting. When that bell rings, in the name of the Father, bang. In the name of the Son, bang. In the name of the Holy Spirit, bang. The war starts. It starts when the church bell rings and service begins. What is the hedge or wall of protection that I believe God puts around us when this war begins. Number one, gathering as a body of Christ. It is so important that we gather as a body, that we worship as one in the church of God. And when I say church of God, I mean in general, of who we are as Christians. 
We must gather together and fight as a body. You can't fight on your own. You can't win on your own. You have to have him inside you, moving you, and carrying you out. But we must do it as a body. The wall and hedge is gathering as a body of Christ. The wall and hedge is prayer. Asking God to touch us in the call to worship when we pray. In the Lord's prayer when we pray. It is praying to God and asking God to do all those things he says in the Lord's prayer. Now when I watch you guys on Facebook and getting to know you, my most favorite part of the service was the Lord's prayer. Why? Because you prayed in unison. And it was like flowing water. To me, now this is to me when I'm watching. It's like flowing water. The people of God gathered together asking Christ to forgive them. Asking Christ to watch over them. Asking Christ to bless them. Asking Christ to touch them. All this is in the Lord's Prayer. And you do it as one body in Him. In that prayer is confession. When we have joys and concerns, confession, repentance. When we turn to the true and living God. All this is part of our gathered worship. Giving in the offering. When you give any offering, it's all part of worship. But the chief part of any worship service should be the word of God. It is the word that moves us. It is his word that guides us. And so when we do the call to worship, that's the word going forth. When we stand up and say, God's been good to me, and you have a scripture in your mind, that's the word going forth. When the word of God is preached, that's the word going forth. When you're in Sunday school, it's the word going forth. When you're in children's church, it's the word going forth. It is the word that holds it all together. And we're not going to be good if we're not together together as a body in one, in him, worshiping him and fighting it together. You didn't ask for this war, did you? Did sometimes you ask for your heart to be broken or be hurt? Did you ask for your kids to be hurt? Maybe watch your kids get divorced or go through a bad time. You didn't ask for that. You didn't ask for COVID, did you? Now, Pastor Brody had this church rocking. You guys were flat getting it. But when COVID came, right? And, you know, the government gave its guidelines and all good Christians want to follow the government. So you shut down the church. You shut down your witness, so to speak. And then people decide they're not going to come back. You, you threw the first stone. When I was growing up, you didn't miss church. But if you miss church, you're going to die and go to hell. But now church no longer matters because now you have it on your fancy Nancy Facebook. You see? And now the people can sit at home in their bedroom drinking their coffee, think they've been in worship of the Lord. No. He said, gather together as one and show your faith as one. Now, people get mad at me. You might fire me next week. I don't care. But when you quit gathering as a community, you said, who I am in Christ, this is more important than him. This is more important than our witness of us coming together as one. And so all the people who are lost, they said, I told you they was hypocrites. When the first trial came, Look at them parking lots. Nobody's in the church house. Bunch of hypocrites is what they are. Right or wrong, that's what was said. You, did you ask for the war? But it came right to your doorsteps. 
And then what happened after that? You started losing attendance. And maybe you got a little depressed. Where's everybody at? What's happening? And maybe the pastor got a little depressed. Maybe he felt like, hey, my ministry ain't going so hot all of a sudden. Why are we baptizing so many people before COVID and we're growing and we're booming and we're moving? And then after COVID, all the depression comes. Did you ask for that war? You did not. You didn't ask to get older. I know that for sure. It came. I didn't go to work and say, hey, today I'm going to go ahead and hurt my hamstring so I can't feel nothing from here down. I didn't go tell my supervisor that. I think I'm going to pull my hamstring today because I like being hurt. I didn't ask, but it still came. The war came. It's coming to you whether you like it or not. You didn't ask for your denomination to go south on you, did you? That put you in a bind with what you have to do, did you? You didn't ask for that war. Guess what? It came. And you can ignore it as long as you want. It's still coming. The war is coming. Now, Nehemiah knew that the gates and the hedge was to protect the people in the city. Back in those days, that's how you won battles, man. You built your wall so high, you built your gate so high, you built everything in there so high that nobody could come in and steal. But he saw cracks in there. Anywhere there's a crack, the enemy knows if we can just get in that crack, we can take that city. If we have a crack in who we are in Christ, he's just, we're going to lose the battle. There can be no cracks in our armor. Now, I know how it is. I've been in church life long enough to know. In between pastors, people get on fire. Oh, yeah. We got to come together now, boy. We, we're without a pastor. We're going to start praying more. We're going to read our Bible more. We're going to know what God's will is more. Uh, we're, and the pastor's down here doing the same thing. He's saying, I got to know what God's will is. Am I going to do this? Am I not going to do that? So everybody's all of a sudden praying more now. The church is working even harder. Things are getting done. And you've came together. I've seen this more than one time. You've really come together. Then the new pastor comes and it's, whoo! Let's go back to life as normal. I don't need to pray much. I don't need to read much. I don't need to visit much. I don't need to come to church. I got the new preacher. He'll take care of everything. Is it? Come on. Well, if the preacher does the same thing, he gets settled in the church. Maybe he's not praying and reading. He's just going to go get off all the old sermons. That's not the way of God. God doesn't call that to do that. He puts things in our hearts to do for him and his glory. This is the wall, and this is the hedge that we build up. This is what we are called to do. Just for my own life. I remember I came home and told Amy one day. I said, Amy, I'm done. I'm no longer the spiritual leader of this house. I said, you can take care of the kids. They're yours. Here's the pocketbook money. Here's the checkbook. You run the checkbook. I'm done. Now, see, when I, God had judged my heart, and he found in my heart that I didn't love him with everything. I was cool with that. So when we went to the new church, I did nursing home every Sunday taught Sunday school, helped any way I could in the church because I wanted to honor God because he had touched my life. But as time went on, I, I just said, no, no. I'm doing your will. I'm doing your work, but I'm done. And this is what I said to him. I'm done with you. 
That's a hard thing to say to God. And, you know, maybe some of us want to, but I'm just, I'm, a, I'm straight up. I said, I'm done with you. I know you're up there. I'm down here. When you're ready for me, I'm right here, but I got nothing else to say to you. I was madder than a hornet. I, I, you judged my heart. I was cool with that. I thought I had made the adjustments that needed to be made. But putting in for churches and putting in for churches and putting in for churches and all the churches say the same thing. You're better than a piece of popcorn with butter on it. You're the, and we know God's got great things planned in your life, but you're not for us. So if you told somebody that they're the greatest thing in the world and that there's big plans for them, why wouldn't you hire them? So I, my response back was, don't lie to me. Obviously, I ain't no good. Don't butter the dude up and just lie to him. Just tell him the truth. You're not what we want. I was cool with that. So I just said, I'm done. In my mind, I'd given up everything to follow him. Military career, money. And I didn't do it because I did because I loved him and I wanted to follow him. And so I thought, man, why? And I let down my guard and I let down my armor. And you see it all reflected in family. And I felt like I lost my witness because how could I tell my sons God was good, that God would take care of them when my own armor was cracked, my own wall was broken. So I thought, okay, what's going on here? And I just, um, I started doing the things again, praying again, seeking God again, asking for help. You know, I'm sorry for what I've done. I do love you, though. I do love you. I love you with everything I got. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you. No matter what happens to me, I'm going to love you. And there it comes right beside me. Door was open. I started preaching in all kinds of churches. That's the way God does. He works through us. And so I felt like I was building up the wall and the hedge. But you see, West Alexandria Church of the Brethren, the war is here. The war is all over us. And it's coming whether you like it or not. And every time that bell rings, we've gathered together as a body to say, we're in that war. And we're going to fight it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're going to fight it with the word of God. And we're going to fight it being kind to people, ministering to people, and doing what he's asking us to do. So we did not ask for the war, but it still came to us. So I'm asking you this morning, West Alexandria Church of the Brethren, let us build the hedge. Let us build the hedge. And let us build the wall of this congregation. Let's do it for the glory of God. And let's ask God to put a hedge and wall of protection around our family. And pray that he touch them. Pray that he help them. Let's pray that he put a wall of protection around our congregation. Don't allow the enemy to come in and steal what God has freely sown. Don't let it happen. But let's build this wall around our family and our church. And as the war comes to it, we're not supposed to go look for it. But when it comes, let you and me fight it as one body. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for Nehemiah. When he was cupbearer to the king and he had heard that the gates and the walls of his city was torn down. Even though Ezra brought the law, even though they had the sacrifices back once again, even though they had the altar of repentance, they didn't build up the city gates and walls so that the enemy couldn't attack. Nehemiah heard it and he wanted to make a difference, Lord. And he built the walls and the gates up once again. Things have happened to our lives, Lord, that we didn't ask for. War came to us that we didn't ask for. And maybe sometimes our heart got bitter. Maybe sometimes we turned away from you and we said we don't want to fight no more. 
But Lord, help this church, help us work together as a body of Christ to build up the wall and the gates in our families and in this congregation. When we come into worship and that bell rings, Lord, let us be glad to be in the house of the Lord. Let us be glad for the opportunity to worship you. Let us freely give an offering. Let us confess our sins. Let us do the Lord's Prayer together as a body of Christ. Let us repent, Lord. Let us confess. Let us praise you and give you the glory that's through your name. Let us worship you with a free heart because there's a war going on. Hear me now, Lord God Almighty, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.